Welcome to the Mouse and Castle. This is a gathering place for fans of all things Disney. So sit back, chow down, have some sips, and chit-chat about the magical world created by Walt Disney. Hey guys, welcome to the Mouse and Castle podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Riley Glanton. Glad to be back talking all things Disney. You know, veering a little away from the the more parks fe- uh, featuring content, I imagine we'll talk some parks. He's got a, a parks mug that he's sipping on right now, one Mr. Aaron Goins. How's it going? This is an OG, like the Starbucks parks mugs. Before they changed them? Before they changed them and changed them again and changed them again. Aaron, yeah, will you walk us through the controversy? <laughs> Of the Starbucks Disney Parks mugs, because <laughs> as I understand, it's not once but multiple times that they've changed the the thematic elements. Because this is why people are tuning into the Mouse and Castle, and that is the hot takes for uh, the Starbucks the Disney Starbucks Parks mugs. mugs. <laughs> yeah, I I it was a big deal for me to get all six, all the the, Amer- the American Parks. I was like, I got to get all six, and so I got the original six. So you got the original six. So this is nineties, two thousands. This was, I don't know. This is not 90s. I mean, this is definitely 2010. I don't know. You're pretty old. No, no. I think 2015, 2017. I don't okay, know. So Somewhere in that range. Fairly recent. Yeah, the they were doing the yeah the whole like you are here type series type thing, and you could get them into different states and different cities. And then they did it for the Disney parks. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm gonna get all yeah. six, you know. And I did. And then my son broke the Hollywood Studios one, so I no longer have the original Hollywood Studios, but I have the other five. Yeah, and then you know, they like you said, and that's why you disowned him. Um, yeah, you know, my, my former son. No, the uh, they've sub we don't subsequently come out with multiple versions of the park. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know how many versions they've and, done uh, now. And so. Aaron, how how did that make you feel? How did uh, how did you feel about that decision? <laughs> I don't know. I think you you can't beat the original. Mm. Is is how I feel about a lot of things, but we can talk about that since I think we're talking about Little Mermaid today. Aaron is a Starbucks Disney Parks mud mug originalist. Like that is Aaron's stand, you know. And a lot of people, you know, we were talking before we got on mic about how a lot of times in the in the world of hyper partisan politics and especially in fandom, like it's difficult to like take a stand for the things you believe in. And that's what I appreciate about appreciate about you, Aaron, is that you will say, dang it, the old Starbucks mugs are better. And, and you know, <laughs> that that's the kind of Aaron tells it like it is, ladies and gentlemen. For me, it's like, not even about that. It's about I just wanted one mug to represent each park and I wanted them mm. to match. And mm. once I got that, I was good. The new ones are kind of cool. I did get, I, I got, I got I the, that was going to be my question. Did you get the new ones? I got you some of the new the ones, trap? but I'm not like a completionist where I have to have them all. So like if I happen to be in a park and I see mm. one, I like the design, I'll grab it. But yeah. I, now my cupboard is full of too many Starbucks, Starbucks mugs anyway. So mm. I kind of stopped yeah. buying them. That's fair. That's but fair. this is I the, think... uh, the magic kingdom. Yeah, let's can it, let's see it. Let's see it. I don't on know the, if we're doing uh, any video. video. For yeah, this. No, I mean, there's some video recording. We'll put this on the YouTube channel. So if you're listening yeah. to the podcast, we got. You know, I like it's kind of a, a simple color scheme. I like that. It's kind of um understated, which I like. Yeah, it doesn't have to be too complicated. Um. So Aaron, yeah, let's talk about Little Mermaid because you saw it just recently on Disney Plus, I assume. 
I did. Well, no, I no. I did not see it on Disney Plus because it hasn't come out on Disney Plus yet. <laughs> oh, that's right. I did the. I did the like the COVID trap where they started releasing movies mm. and they just charged you full price. So you pay yeah. 20 bucks and you could watch it uh, instead of going to the theater. So, yeah, they call that the Mulan trap. Mulan trap. The, yes, yeah. I did it because yeah. I kind of promised my family I had seen an ad through Verizon that it was available to rent on a certain date, which was this this past Friday. Um, and I was like, all right, I will rent it tonight. It hasn't come out on Disney Plus yet, but I'm willing to pay the rental price, thinking it would be like six or seven dollars. Went to do it through Apple TV. Okay. And it was twenty dollars to buy it. And there was not a rent option. Gotcha. So, but I had already gotten the kids' hopes up. So I was like, you know what? Movie night, we'll drop mm. to twenty, but twenty dollars. So we did. This is I mean, I appreciate Aaron has really entered, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I think since this podcast has started even even more so, but certainly since I've known you, the Disney Dad era. And I think this is a representative of that, is that you plopped down the $20. It's post-COVID. You know, it's in theaters. Yeah, it's... Uh, but yeah. you kind of promised the family movie night, which, you know, I think that that's a test... You know, I'm I'm kind of teasing and joking around, but that's a testament to you that you made a Disney family movie night and it was something that everybody was anticipating and that you actually accomplished. Um, do you have like a... I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Do you have a home theater of sorts? Is that like, is watching movies at home more common these days post COVID or have you guys shifted back to where you like to go to the movies? Is this like the norm? No, I will say that because of COVID and because of watching a lot of movies at home and the releases that just came out on Disney plus or the reasons that releases that came out first in streaming, um, we kind of got used to that. So I have not, we actually haven't gone Trying to think of the last like family movie that we we went yeah, like to a big family movie day. Any and any Disney movies post COVID? I'm trying to think of um, honestly. I don't think so. I think I've become a bad. Uh, maybe that makes me a bad Disney fan. But I think most of the movies I wait till they come out on. You didn't all go see Lightyear in theaters? Um, no, no, I did no, not. No, no. I saw it on streaming. Um, yeah. I, I saw, saw Cruella in theaters. You know, I did too. That was one of the first ones I remember coming back to theaters. I really enjoyed it. I feel like it, it did not have the box office or cultural splash that it should have. I thought it was really well done. Which, like, it's something maybe we can talk about too with the mm-hmm. Little Mermaid movie because I know it's gotten some kind of negativity because it's, oh, it's another Disney flop. That seems to be the big headline now. Like, every Disney movie that comes out, oh, another Disney flop, like Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. Little Mermaid, everything's flopping. Disney's you know, and that's a, everything is so analytical these days and like the talking points, especially on podcasts like this, it's very easy to fall into the trap of like it made X amount of money or there's X amount of drop off of the box office. And that's like your talking point as if sort of our enjoyment of these movies or stories is determined by um, the the box office mojo score as if it's like a team sport. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm making fun. I've fallen into that trap before of sort of like thinking a, a movie's box office reflects like either validates or does not validate my opinion of said movie. But I think that's a very unfortunate trap to fall into. So I have to ask, regardless of the box office, regardless of the success or lack of success financially of the little mermaid, I just have one question for you, Mr. Aaron Goins. Was it a worthy remake? Um, and you know, I'll do a little follow up right here up front. A worthy remake, meaning that um, it uh, it satisfied the original story, like it lived up to the original story, but also added something new or unique or thought provoking or a new perspective on that original story 
that uh, that we may not have had in the original animated film. Because I think those are the two metrics. I'm very curious to hear what you think, Mr. Aaron Goins. Well, we just recently had our episode where we talked about the live action, right? Didn't we do yeah, like we a ranking? Or yeah, something? we did a ranking. I don't remember at all what the rankings what were. What our rankings were. But I remember the, beast is the, best, the consensus but... was, or you were more concerned with them adding elements Yes. And like, oh, what do they? What are they bringing to the table? That's kind of with what I was talking about. Yeah, a new perspective on that the was story. your kind yeah. of criteria for it being good. For me, it was more how is it reflecting the original, mm. and I kind of more the nostalgia of it. So, like, yeah. is it is it giving me those moments of like, oh yeah, like I remember that, or like, so for my criteria, mm-hmm. I think it was I, enjoyable. I did, I did oh, very much enjoy the movie. For your criteria, did it add something? Did it change the way I think about the story? Not really. Like I think if maybe, maybe other than Lion King, this one was the closest to just being a shot for shot remake um, in a lot of ways. Now they did change some things up. You know, not everything was exactly the same. Even the location was different, Mm -hmm. but um, the songs were almost identical. They, you know, they obviously had the kind of more controversial lyric changes, which I Honestly, I don't think I would have even noticed if if it hadn't been pointed out to me. I don't, see, I, don't I can't say if I remember any lyric changes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, I actually kind of went into the movie thinking that I'm, I wasn't going to like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was pleasantly surprised. And um, and it was kind of a consensus too. Like my wife really enjoyed it. My son really enjoyed it. So yeah, I it it did I, well for so, me. I got to be a little transparent here and I'm surprised because my take or like when I watched the film, to me, there was a lot of new dimensions and things added, which of course, you know, we know as we establish are, are kind of my cup of tea, but um, I want to hear this. I want to hear what you thought was so different. Well, I will mean, start with just the music itself, because I think that drives a lot of the story element. We, I mean, we had the Lin-Manuel Miranda Miranda song that was very obvious. The um, the little uh, rap, scuttlebutt yeah, rap. Yeah, a little scuttlebutt rap. <laughs> which, and that was kind of a fun addition, you know. Which I thought, for me, that's something that, like, you know me, like, with the kind of random, like, Olaf this. And, you know, there's certain things where I'm just like, that was dumb. That is that is perfect for me to criticize, but mm-hmm. I, for whatever reason, I was kind of, I was down with look it. At, look it at just you. Kind of fit. Is it just because you're a big Lin-Manuel Miranda? It, that might have helped, big, I think, because oh, okay, yeah. you can hear when she starts doing the little rap and then the crab the, and the pacing. Oh yeah. It's, oh, it's just like, yeah, right you, out of Hamilton. It's the signature Hamilton style that I absolutely love and I'm not tired of yet. Although I know a lot of people are, uh, <laughs> So yeah, that that actually worked for That's me. That's when I, by the way, it's a little sidebar here. That's when I started to feel really old in the age of the internet. When they're like, "Oh yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda, he's he's old news. It's yeah. like only old people are into him." I'm like, "Wait, really?" What's, what's yep, we have. Yeah, what's happening? He's already not cool anymore. That's how. Yeah, because we're big fans of him, and he's not cool anymore. That's how we know. It's sort of like Mumford and Sons. You know, there's a time when Mumford and Sons became like that's not cool to like Mumford and Sons. Yes, it's like folk music again is resurfaces popularity. But if you're like into that, then you're old and lame. I feel, was, I feel, I feel a kind of way. About that's that. your generation's old and lame. My generation's old and lame was Creed. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were still into Creed after a certain time, I was gonna say was, not not the recent uh, Michael B. Jordan films, but the no uh, no no, the no music. The, <laughs> yes, the musical artist. Yeah, yeah, the musical artist known as Creed. So, but that was, I think, the more surface. I think the more in depth or the best example is the um, the solo 
And, and this has been a thing with Disney live action remakes. This is a repeat of the uh, Beauty and the Beast is that the lead male character now has a big solo song, which, okay. and as much as, I don't know, let's, let's go there and let's go. I'm going to invite you on to a little journey of controversy with me. Let's go. Um, I, I want to know your opinion because I think the comparison between the Prince Eric's big solo number of which I, you know, I've done zero prep for this episode. So it's been a good two months since I watched this movie. So I don't remember all the words. I just sort of remember my key takeaways, but Prince Eric's solo of, if, as I recall, it was a, a journey of a search for identity and meaning in a similar way that um, part of, uh, part of your world is for Ariel. They kind of gave its twin song. They, the, Alan Menken, who they brought back just like they did for Beauty and the Beast. They brought him back to write this new song for Prince Eric as a big number that I felt honestly gave a a lot of a lot of depth and empathy for the character of Prince Eric, who was kind of just the cute boy in the original. And now they kind of gave him. A, a big solo song that was written in the context of his conflict with his mother and his role as the prince and trying to like fulfill his royal duty. It's very Downton Abbey, fulfill his royal duty versus following his heart. And I thought that it added a lot of dimension to that. Maybe not too different, but um, Evermore is the is the title song of the Beast's big solo um, song in, in, in Beating the Beast, which also Alan Menken wrote. But I thought it's it works because Alan, you bring if you if you're gonna bring somebody to write a new song for this classic film, you bring the guy who wrote all the original songs. So I thought it was kind of brilliant that they did, and and I, I thought it worked really well. But in your case, like with I know we kind of have our little spat about Beauty and the Beast all the time on this podcast. It's like every episode we debate the Beauty and the Beast's merits, the, the live action remake. But I thought the Prince Eric's big solo song was representative of. Um, I thought. A, a good challenge to creatively expand the roles of the characters since they're, you know, telling the story again f- for a new audience in a new era. I your love it when you get on your music kick. Uh, you just start going. Is, yeah. yeah. It's like, this is your element. And it's I sad know, because I you know. and I differ in that way. Like where I, certain things about the music don't stand out to me as much. So it's, it's, I, I'm sure you wish there was somebody on the po- podcast right now that you could kind of go back and forth on this and you could kind of compare talk about the nuances of the right. career of Alan Minkin and his contributions yeah, exactly. to Disney musicals. Yeah. But I'm no, just going to be like, okay. oh, it was, the song was okay. I like um, the song. Yeah. That's Aaron. Aaron's hot take. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's good. It was no, good. it was, I, I guess that's true. Like as far as Prince Eric goes and not just the song, but just his character throughout the movie you definitely get a lot more depth with that character. That is probably the major difference between the animated version and this version. Prince Mm -hmm. Eric is actually a character and not just kind of a set piece, which he kind of felt like in the, in the animated movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did enjoy that. And I thought they cast that part very well. I really, he was a likable character. You could kind of see why uh, Ariel would fall for him so quickly Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he just had this kind of way about him, this this charm, this charisma. So I thought he it was a well cast role for sure. Um, the song, I thought the song was fine. Uh, it didn't stand out to me as like a favorite part of the movie for me, but it did feel a little out of place compared yeah. to the other music in the movie. Because when you think back to like the golden age of Disney and these musicals when they were first coming out, mm-hmm. the style of song was different than what we get now in like Frozen. Frozen has much more of a Broadway 
kind of feel to it when it comes to the the different songs. Um, not that not that the older movies don't have a similar, but it's just not quite as Broadway. So mm-hmm. when he starts breaking out into his song, I'm like okay, it's it sounds like a something I would hear on stage at Broadway, and it didn't sound like something I would hear in a, a Little Mermaid movie. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. So the tone of the song itself actually felt a little out of place for me. So if there was anything that kind of threw me out of it, it might have been this, that song. Well, there was an additional song too, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so his song just since I, I pulled it, I had to transparently, I had to look it up. I had to. Yeah, I saw the, the I saw the lights flashing off your face from your monitor. Yeah, like, I could tell yeah, you as, as I'm going through you're googling yeah. stuff. So the um. Yeah, Prince Eric's new song is called Wild Uncharted Waters. Um, Can you sing is, a, a little, just a little phrase from it? So this is the sign of of not a great song, is that I can't remember the melody off the top Doesn't of my head. Doesn't it go like, and oh I'm, man, see, I, I'm, I'm too embarrassed since I know this is being recorded to even try it, but I can hear it in my head. It's uh, like, yeah, I, I mean, I remember the uncharted. spirit of the song and generally how the melody felt, Yeah, um, but that was... Um, can we play a little clip? And then we had Can the scuttlebutt, <laughs> the Aquafina song. Aquafina scuttlebutt. I thought that worked pretty well, by the way. I'm gonna hot take. I I thought that was a very different direction for the character in a way that actually worked perfectly. For for her being scuttle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought honestly, that's one thing I thought would annoy me. Uh, yeah. But apparently, I've come all the way around on Aquafina because she did used to annoy me. But now the last few films I've seen her in, I'm kind of like, okay, I can see the appeal. Uh, yeah, and I thought, yeah, I thought she actually did really well with that character. It didn't bother me at all. Yeah. Um, but I think it, did, I think it was sc- kind of weird when she could like dive underwater. Yeah. Just kind of float around underwater and talk, but you got to start to like, just not even think about how all that works. That's where you get that. And that's where as a, as a kid watching these movies, we, we suspend our beliefs, yes, right? Suspend you know? all that belief. Like I, all, all, all the animals are gathering in chorus, uh, for singing about the birth of the new lion King at pride rock. Like there's no questioning of it. No, that was just Eldon John singing. <laughs> but um but yeah and so that was the scuttlebutt was sort of the fun song wild uncharted waters was mm-hmm. expanding prince eric's and then the other one was impossible child which was javier bardam um delivering a solo about the father-daughter relationship and that's the one i remembered the least mm-hmm. if i'm being honest yeah yeah um, i will say too like from a casting perspective he might have been the miss for me Oh, interesting. All right. T- tell me more about this because I-, I don't know that I'm far apart from you because I don't know what it was. It's hard for me to put uh, language around what I think didn't work, but I-, I do think that they really wanted a, especially with this, with his own song to like elevate the conflict between father and daughter um, as part of the story and-, and make that a little bit sharper in this movie. At least I felt that way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what didn't work for you? Well, I think part of it is the underwater stuff was my least favorite part. I think all, mm. it it's very apparent that it's mostly CGI yeah. uh, in those parts. And it kind of stands out, especially when you're watching on like pretty high def television. It, it just kind of stands out as looking a little video gamey. Yeah. So that I'm glad yeah. like once they got out of the water and the action was taking place on dry land and it was, you know, real, then that's where I started to enjoy the movie more. And he mm-hmm. is, you know, King Triton is is underwater 99.9% of the time. You know, he does have those couple scenes at the end where he kind of pops up out of the water. But, you know, he's so I think that didn't help the actor's performance. 
Um, yeah. And then maybe because of how different he was from the character from the animated series or the animated series, the animation movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. He just was so different, um, almost cruel more so like in the in the original movie when triton is mean to ariel or does something you can kind of see on his face like the he automatically just regrets you know if he lashed it out where in this movie it was like he didn't really do that like it was kind of like he was just being mean and then he was standing by his meanness up until the very end um, so the character yeah. was very different for me. They and were I, I really trying to play up the conflict between him and, and Ariel, I think, a bit um, in the way that they frame the live action version. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be it'd be interesting. I I think uh, I get what they were trying to do. Um, but in a way, I think that the, the strained relationship was almost played for laughs a little bit more at just like. He was sort of like a doting yet ignorant, if not imbecilic father figure, um, which I think was popular in the 90s. That was sort of he was almost sort of a sitcom dad type uh, King Triton uh, in the original, whereas what they're trying to do is give a more serious, dramatic arc of him seeing the danger of the human world and why and why they were kind of destroying. There's almost an environmental element too of like destroying the 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 sea world. So I I get what they were trying to go there, but I I also think just from a simple um, Javier Bardem, you know, I think the Disney roles he was in, he he kind of stood out. Maybe it's because all the other the rest of the cast and the writing and the plot was very subpar. And that's the Pirates of the Caribbean, the fourth one. I think it's on Stranger Tides where he plays. Oh, I forgot he was even in one of those. Movies. Yeah, he was like he was the villain, and and he did a great job. He like he was having a great time as the as the villain. But um, I, I think he's like because he's like part of the Disney family in a way. And you'll notice a lot of these live action remakes seem to draw from the same pool of actors, and at least for for some of these extraneous um roles well i think i mean maybe not for the live action disney stuff but aquafina is absolutely in the fold of disney oh yeah, yeah. you know yep. with raya I mean, right? yeah raya and she was in the um shang chi movie oh that's right that's um, right i forgot about yeah. that so yeah she's definitely and then was she out i'm trying to think of something else she was in but mm-hmm. maybe that's it maybe it's just the little mermaid shang chi yeah. and and raya but that's fair. That's fair. I gotta say, Aaron, I, I really thought we had like 20, 10 or 15 minutes of discussion on this movie and we've had way more, but that's like, well, like, we haven't that's even, the case. <laughs> we, we haven't even scratched like, the surface. I know we barely scratched the surface. What's the scuttlebutt? Um, no, I think, um, I don't know. It's, it's up there. I think it, I honestly, if I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I think I sort of, uh, I haven't been following Disney news as much recently. That's good. It's just a little confession of mine. There hasn't um, been a ton. I mean, it's a lot of it's just like the parks are empty, you know, and you yeah. know that. I, and a lot I mean, of I like the and a lot Bob of the Iger. RD uh, new <laughs> he who shall not be named the the uh, the Florida politics element is kind of all. Yeah, that's the been. politics stuff. Um, I think Iger is taking some heat right now uh, um, sure. because of some of the just business decisions that are being made. And I think that um they're talking about like the layoffs that happened espn just had a bunch of layoffs that were kind of unexpected and then they're talking about oh maybe they're going to sell espn off and all that so i I think the honeymoon the the second honeymoon period of bob Iger it has kind of ended you know i think there was some hope maybe with bob Iger coming back and this is something that we've talked about you know bob chapek kind of 
caught a, a bit of a raw deal, I think a little bit with all the criticism that he got. And then it was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bob Iger's coming back and he's going to fix everything. And it was like, actually Disney's still having problems even with him there. So it, it is a bit of a, a bit of a tumultuous time right now yeah. with Disney, but it's like all the boring stuff. Like, I don't really, that's the kind of stuff I don't really talk about. Like I'd much rather talk that's about. Fair. Usually you know. that's the stuff I make you talk about on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind mentioning it or like, but if you dwell on it, that's all you talk about. Like I yeah. do get tired of it when I scroll through my feed of news. Yeah, it does get all old pretty fast. Just negative, negative, negative stuff. And it's like, okay. You know, I get the, I'm sort of getting a new perspective on it because I think the whole idea of, of, of recent box office and, and politics of Disney and Florida and, presidential elections, all this stuff that gets kind of in this soup of, of negativity. That's uh, unfortunate. I don't even like talking about it as a, as, as just a Disney fan, even though it's very much affecting the company and the storytelling and the parks. Like this is a lot of these are very real elements of what Disney's dealing with. So I, I don't mean to like, just kind of gloss over it just because, you know, it's on the more negative side, but I think a fair way to characterize it. And I think this might, this might be a good, like kind of parting discussion, final segment for the show here, Aaron is, is I'd love to get your take as as we look at um, the way Disney navigates um, their their content strategy. Oh, wow, that sounds really corporate of me. Uh, those two words I can't believe just came out of my mouth. But but I, I guess I'm coming out of this from the perspective of I just got back from San Diego Comic Con, and of course they had the big there's the big uh, uh, SAG uh, strike and the writer strike going on, so a lot of the big panels were canceled, but the Directors Guild. Of, I don't know how they of all the things the Directors Guild still has uh, no strike yet. You know, count 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 down the days. But I say all that to say is that um, there I went to one panel in Hall H, which was like half empty. It was kind of crazy at Comic Con. If you guys are familiar, it's very unusual for the the big premiere. You know, uh, hall that seats like six thousand people. It's where. Usually these big studios unveil the new, you know, Marvel unveils the new Avengers trailer, that kind of thing. Um, but it was mostly empty. And there was like one sort of informal directors on directing panel. And it had Gareth Edwards, of course, of Rogue One fame, but it also had, and I feel absolutely terrible that I'm, I would just be cheating and Googling it, um, the the director of Haunted Mansion. He he wrote and directed Dear White People. He he's 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 had a lot of uh, really good... Uh, he's had a lot of, of of content come out recently, and he was really good in the panel. And I really appreciated his his strangely candid way of talking about the process of filmmaking with a corporate studio. And his big thing, of course, that he's supposed to be promoting right now. And then they showed a clip and then a sizzle reel from Haunted Mansion. Um, so that was like the one Disney thing, you know, I did at Comic Con. But they showed they showed like an exclusive clip. But it's from the beginning of the movie. Um, and it shows how they kind of tie in the ride to the storytelling. It was pretty interesting. I, as, as like a big Disney fan, a Dis- Disney Park uh, fan, I was very intrigued. But throughout the course of the panel, I definitely, and I texted you, Aaron, like while I was there, I, there's this strangely free way that he was talking about and kind of cracking jokes about how much you have to compromise a unique creative vision to achieve a big kind of franchise film. And and Gareth was talking about it a little bit more with Star Wars, but he was dan- Gareth Edwards is dancing around a little bit. He wasn't he wasn't being too critical, but there are a few times where uh, the uh, the Haunted Mansion director was was kind of direct. And I, I got the sense the it was not hard to draw the conclusion to make the leap that 
he may not have been entirely creatively satisfied with what he had to do with the haunted mansion, which is sort of the most recent live action remake, not flop, but you know, maybe underperformance. It sort of fits the narrative of people who are like, Oh, all Disney, all these Disney movies are underperforming because everybody's sick of them, depending on what your you know political opinion is. But, but it gave me a very raw appreciation for how difficult that process is. Cause you know, he talked about how he grew up in the Disney parks. He worked, uh, he worked as a cast member in the Disney parks growing up, and he loves this ride and spent years writing and refining the script. And then they kind of went on to talk about the filmmaking process. But it was, I, I, I do kind of wonder if some of the based on existing IP kind of Disney movies, um, if they're if not from a i don't want to do the hot take of like all the disney live action remakes suck because you guys know how we feel about them we just talked about them and where they work and where they don't work but i do wonder if there there should be a cautionary tale with the the potential creative bankruptcy that comes with the just sheer amount of live action remakes and the and the way they go about remaking them that was just the sense i got from the panel i don't know if that's much of a questionnaire or if you had any thoughts on it but that was that was kind of my takeaway from comic con i guess as far as disney things go yeah, I think the pandemic that we all went through changed the landscape of film. And I think part of that, you know, we did get used to the the big blockbusters and going to the movies all the time. And that worked for Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and all these, you know, big tentpole, you know, movie franchises. But I think I think the pandemic changed the way people intake media. And I think it's going to take a lot more to get people out to the theaters than it used to. Mm. And I think it's probably a combination too, of just like you said, a little oversaturation from kind of yeah. all this, this IP stuff. People are getting a little tired of it. And it feels like a money grab. It's like an obvious money grab. It's like, Oh really? They're making a movie about the haunted mansion. Like, is that really need to be done? They did that already. It didn't, didn't work the first time. Why are we doing it again? Kind of thing. So I do think there's some of that fatigue so to get, you yeah. know, to really get people to get their butts into those seats is harder now than it's ever been because there's so many options. Think about like yeah. just how many TV shows that you probably want to watch that you haven't even had a chance to watch yet because of all the options we have now, the streaming services that, you know, five years ago didn't even exist, yeah. you know, and now every single streaming service that's out there has at least one marquee show that mm -hmm. you have to watch. And you're like, well, I guess I got to get Hulu plus now, or I guess, I guess I got to get paramount now you know because i want to watch this so i do think it makes it harder for these movies that typically maybe if that movie came out five years ago it would have been huge made 300 million dollars now maybe it makes 100 million and it's a flop you know the yeah. movie's not any better or worse it's just the, the landscape has changed yeah that's a fair that's a good way to put it because i think it's easy to put it into the narrative of like oh it's not you know it's uh it's a flop it's 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 way worse i think the Disney live action remake has been a, around for a while and we've, we've seen where they can creatively innovate and we've seen where they can kind of cash in. We've seen both of that. I don't think, yeah, I think you're right. That hasn't necessarily changed, but I think there's, um, and I'll admit I was wrong because we yeah. were, we were talking about what's coming out and we're like, yeah, you know, you make a movie about beauty and the beast, you make lion King. Those are going to be guaranteed money. And yeah. I said, well, Little Mermaid's another one. It's guaranteed money. Well, maybe not. Like maybe we, yeah. maybe they hit that peak where it's like, all right, we're okay with Lion King. We're okay with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. But all right, do we really need Little Mermaid? And yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's been, a, I don't know. Like sometimes when people say something's a flop and then you actually 
do a little bit of research. Maybe it's not as big of a flop as it really, as they're sure. saying. I, I have no idea how much money it made. I know from a Rotten Tomatoes perspective, I think it's somewhere like it's still considered fresh. So from a critical perspective, I think Little Mermaid is doing fine. Um, I think it's somewhere around the same as Beauty and the Beast did um, from a critical perspective. But from a financial perspective, I think it's very much underperforming the ones that have come out previously. Yeah. But it also came out after a pandemic. So that didn't happen to Beauty and the Beast and and Aladdin. And right. They all came out previous to that. Lion King. That's true. The big ones. The big ones. So Little Mermaid's the first one that's come out kind of post all of that stuff. Yeah. Unless you count Corella, which again, sleeper hit. And maybe it's the new normal, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what Disney's got to figure out. Disney's got to figure out, okay, these movies aren't guaranteed money anymore. Now what are we going to do? Yeah. No, that's, that's true. That's true. I think um, this, I was, I was poking around this variety piece kind of broke down some of those more successful past um, live action where they would have a budget of up to 200 million and marketing budget of additional hundred million. So it's like you're 300 million, 400 million in the hole. But you know, some of these live action movies are making a billion dollars at the box office to say nothing of all of the, uh, the Disney plus and video on demand, all the merchandise. So I think that was, that was the Lion King of Lion King 2019. Uh, the, I don't even remember what year. Um, I think it was 2018, 2019 when Aladdin came out somewhere around then, but that, like those, they made serious money. Beauty and the Beast made a ton of money, but I, yeah, I don't think we have another billion dollar remake maybe for a minute. Yeah. And I don't think Snow White's going to be that one either. Yeah. <laughs> it's already no. getting, uh, it's already getting kind of attacked before it's even hit the ground running. So, um, yeah, 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 they're running out. I mean, I, they've announced other ones. We know they're coming, you know, we yeah. know Moana's coming. So it's not like they're going to, but we know Disney is, is not afraid to change course. So maybe if no. Little Mermaid does poor enough that they, they kind of halt some of these that yeah. even though they've already announced them, maybe like, oh, let's hold off on a couple of these. Well, and here's the thing with Disney, as much as I think it's easy to criticize that, hey, all they do is live action remakes. There's no originality. That's just objectively not true. And I think what Disney, even in contrast to other studios, what Disney Animation particularly has done is they have a long they have a long track record, but even a recent track record of some really beautiful, creatively fulfilling and inspiring stories that are original. I don't care if it's Coco or, or frozen Two, the greatest of all of them. <laughs> I, I do love frozen Two, but I, of, I think in Kanto even more recently, like as much as you can be like, well, light year flopped and it was no good, but, but there've been some really, there's been beautiful storytelling from Disney animation in the last 10 years. And so I think, I don't think the studio is creatively bankrupt at all. If anything, I think they, they sort of maybe they over relied on the remakes and from the financial perspective and, and maybe it's a good realization that what's going to keep people, inspired from a storytelling perspective what keeps people going to the parks inspires people to be interested in a new ride is on story is on some of these more recent stories that are not existing ip i think of the uh the moana the journey of water moana um you know moana came out in 2016 that's not that long ago um so i think i, I think it's important to recognize the storytelling brilliance where it is with disney um, and I think it, Disney's just so large of a conglomerate now. If you want a specific narrative, you can kind of cherry pick what you want. But I think it's important to recognize 
the the creativity and storytelling uh that goes there you know in the parks they always air and they always say like there's the disney difference it's kind of a cliche but i, I think that exists with the storytelling i think they, there's been some really brilliant storytelling in the last 10 years and i think um leaning into those creatives and those creative processes are, are what's gonna um spell success in the future yeah and they're good. sometimes it's okay to, I mean, sometimes it's good to fail in some of these instances, mm-hmm. because if you get set in your ways and you're like, oh, this is just, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to make money. And we're just, you know, put out this, put out that, and we're going to do this remake and we're just going to make money that way. And then if something fails, it's like, all right, let's rethink that. Let's get a little bit more creative. Let's do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of how things grow. So it might not be a horrible thing that they've had a couple quote unquote flops, yeah. recently because then they're going to rethink how they're doing things. And I, I was watching, you know, Netflix. I mean, there's so many studios out there now making animated films that used to be Disney and DreamWorks were like the only ones in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the case anymore. I mean, they literally Netflix is, you know, I don't know what, what studios they're farming it out to, because I'm sure it's not their actual own a- animation sure. studio, but they have, you know, my son likes to just pull up a Netflix movie. There's one that just came out and I'm blanking on the name. It's like Namoa or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. And it's like this really kind of offbeat comedic type of story that uh, is very irreverent. Mm-hmm. But it was absolutely entertaining. Like I watched the whole thing with him and just like, oh, wow, this is really good. Yeah. The animation style was kind of that new, newer type of animation that kind of blends Sure. Kind of hand drawn with, and I know Disney's got a movie that's coming out that's kind of start doing that too. So, yeah. Um, but I was watching and thinking, yeah, yeah, this is, I like this more than Strange Worlds, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> and, and the Netflix release. So, yeah, um, you know, there's more competition out there for Disney. And to that's, kinda- but you're right, Aaron. That is that's a good thing. I think I think of the um, the the '90s Renaissance as it wound down. Some some the DreamWorks competition was on the rise in the '90s. I think the the quintessential example is the Prince of Egypt, which is a a sort of grand yet strangely faithful biblical adaptation of the uh, the story of Moses, but in this in this at a scale that you would have never expected from anyone other than Disney when it comes to the world of animation. And and I think that kind of threw the gauntlet down um for for disney and that that's a good thing or even like now if you see on the park side of things you see all the the work and the rumors of uh universal's uh efforts for epic universe and and even the success they've had in 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 japan and now california with nintendo world and 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 bringing that to orlando mario the mario movie did really well and the mario movie yeah more recently but i think all of these are really good things because it there's there's nothing that quite challenges good storytelling in a very corporate you know modern world that we live in where you know profits do tend to drive the the content uh then then just old-fashioned competition so i'm i'm here for it um yeah i'm not i'm i haven't been to nintendo world yet i'd go it looks pretty good it looks well done I'd go, I'm a, yeah. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a disney guy though through and through so i i just anticipate and hope for the the inevitable competition that that universal kind of when they raised the bar with something like uh, Harry Potter and then now like the Nintendo stuff, I think that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. That's another episode of the mouse and castle in the can. Some great discussion, man. I listen, I was not expecting the amount of uh, 
of meat on the bone for for that little mermaid review when you said hey i just saw a little mermaid i was like well i guess at the time i didn't really have any hot takes on it but i guess i they were buried in the back of my brain um tell the good people where they can find you on the internet anything you want to plug aaron where can you find me on the internet? I don't know. I'm kind of like not doing too much on the internet these days. It's, I can't decide or I can't keep up with if I'm going, if I'm on threads, if I'm on X, <laughs> like is X still a th- like, you know, it's the whole thing. It's just, so um, I'm at AV Goins on Twitter, what mm-hmm. used to be Twitter, um, still hanging out <laughs> over there. And um, other than that, I guess, podcast wise, uh, we are just about to put out a new episode of Star Wars Bookworms. Oh, nice. Uh, we reviewed Rise of the Red Blade, which was a, um, a book the about new the, Delilah S. Dawson book. Yes, about nice. an Inquisitor's uh, fall and, and oh. rise, I guess. Who'd, so, you, who'd you get on for that? I'm, I'm kind of I'm intrigued. I've I've pre I've I say pre ordered. I've ordered it. It's not here yet. I got uh, Adam Farmer, my my co-host for Bad Wolf Radio, has been kind of oh, jumping nice. in on Bookworms some. So. But if hey, if you want to co- if you want to guest co-host with me, I'm telling you, man, pick, I'm in the last chapter. I didn't. I I was like nodding off last night, but I am finishing. I'm on the last chapter of Lost Stars. It's quite uh, like a buildup. I'm I'm kind of like into it now. Um, yeah, it's taking me like a, two weeks, but it's a Lost great Stars book. Is a good one. Yeah, that's, I'm only that's like a good one. seven years too late, but um, I'm reading Lost Stars. And they never did you know, a sequel. They, everyone thought they it's would. It's a shame. It's yeah. it's it's a it's pretty great writing. Like I kind of expected because I really enjoyed Master and Apprentice by Claudio Graves. But yeah, this kind of talk that you're listening to right here, you can a lot more of of Star Wars books talk at Star Wars Bookworms. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast there. Um, yeah, for me, yeah, same. I'm 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 around the the X X. Go and give it to you. You can follow me at the Riley guy R I L E Y the Riley guy. Um, you know, these days, uh, I didn't really make much of a, I guess if I, if I were doing this properly as like a, as a, you know, professional quote unquote, which I'm not podcaster, I would have plugged this at the beginning of the show, but my, my, my current, uh, new creative project is with one Stephen Kent, formerly of the Beltway Banthas. We've resurrected what was Beltway Banthas and Star Wars Report into a, uh, a newsletter and then and then weekly podcast YouTube uh, show where we just get together and talk all things philosophy and Star Wars and storytelling. It's basically like it's about as nerdy as 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 the whatever that concentric circle of of nerd pop culture and and philosophy nerd is. That's that's where we're going with it. So uh, make sure you go to. Uh, uh, search for Walk the Way on YouTube. And then, of course, you can find us, This is the way.substack.com. That's where our writing is. We take turns each week um, of writing essays on all things. We're being entirely too heady, too analytical. We're having zero fun. We're just, tra- we're, we are literally delving into the, the philosophy of fandom at thisistheway.substack.com. So if that terrible plug has you intrigued at all, I encourage you to check it out. It's one of those things that's like new in the Apple Podcast app and on YouTube. So if, if you're interested, if you listen to Star Wars Report um, back in the day or uh, or Beltway Banthas, I encourage you to go check it out. Walk the Way is the name of the podcast. This is the Way is the name of the Substack. So there you go. Uh, a nice little plug there. Um, until next time, Aaron, thanks for uh, for hanging out, talking all things Disney. We'll be back again, probably talking more park stuff. Uh, parting shot, tell us uh, when the next time you're going to a park and come up with a clever sign off go <laughs> next time i'm going to a park is november going to disneyland 
with some people nice. I've never been. So I'm, I'm going to, I like to take the role of tour guide when I yes, go yes. with someone that's never been, I'm like, Oh, now we'll go see this. And I'll act like I'm a Disneyland expert, even though I've only ever been there a handful of times. <laughs> so it counts. It counts close enough. I don't have I mean, a, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, hard, isn't it? It's not easy. So um, <laughs> the, the, well, the one thing that kind of bothered me about the little mermaid, since you didn't let me finish my thoughts on it, cause you just <laughs> blew right by it. Um, did I cut you off? I you, get so, you get so caught or you, there's certain nostalgia of like when you watch a movie so many times, right? Like you kind of yeah, memorize yeah. it. You don't just memorize the lines. You memorize the cadence of a line. Sure. Sure. It and makes so sense. when they brought back, they did a, they did a very good job of bringing back like specific lines mm-hmm. from the, uh, the old movie, yeah. but the cadence wasn't the same and it really uh, threw me off, you know, like the part yeah. where he's like talking to Sebastian about if Ariel is in love. He's like, Ariel, in love, you know, like that part in the animated yeah. film. But in the live action, he completely changed the cadence and I, it just didn't work for me. I was like, mm. because I was so used to that cadence. So, yeah. And that's why you hate Javier Bardem in the new role. Maybe that's this. probably why. But <laughs> that's uh, probably the, the cadence. Right there. The, um, Ursula, I thought. I thought she did a good job. Oh, uh, that's true. We did. I did blow past. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Melissa, Ursula. Brilliant Melissa McCarthy, perfectly cast, did a great job. Yes. Yeah. No, I can't. I couldn't think of a better person to play Ursula. And I don't somehow know if that's a, like Haley a Bailey. Mm-hmm. She, she like sounds just like the original. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of overlap. I thought she did a really good job. It's almost like she did her research and kind of tried to mimic the voice a little bit. Which mm-hmm. I actually kind of appreciated, yeah, because um, she did sound very much like the original Ariel. So it's such it's, an iconic sound, too. Yeah, there's. A, I'm slipping in more of a Little Mermaid re- review here at the end because <laughs> uh, I didn't feel fulfilled uh, that I got it all out, but now I have. That's my sign off. <laughs> You're like, dang it, Riley, you wanted to talk about box office and Bob, Bob Iger again. Stop <laughs> it. Um. <laughs> No, that's fair. That's fair. You know what? That you know, and that reminds me. I think that's a sufficient sign off. Is that we encourage you that we would like, in terms of Disney fandom at least, to be part of your world. Yes. And so until next time, tell tell us about the Scuttlebutt. 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 I don't even remember any of the words, but Aquafina <laughs> really the, had the. That's the part that I remember. Scuttlebutt. <laughs> we'll see you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next time. Look at that. That's a show, man. That was the one part that Quinn, after the movie was over, he's like, can we rewind back to that Scuttlebutt song? I'm like, really? That's the thing? That's the one thing? I love it. I have um, a homework assignment for you.